Amen. Well, good morning. So glad you're with us today. And for those of you that are partners of South City Church, happy birthday. Right? Four years. God is so good. I was over here just in tears, just thinking about, I can't even hardly talk about it and I get stirred up again. God is so good. He's so good to us. He loves us so much. And what a joy uh, and ultimate privilege of my life to serve you. God is so good. Can we just, can we just take a minute and thank him? God, you're so good. Lord, as a church, as South City Church, we just want to stop and just say thank you for what you've done in these four, four and a half years, God, four as South City. Lord, what you've done in these last 85, I think, um, on this property and in some of the people that have been a part of this this body, this church, this vision. God, you're, you're doing something new even now in us. And we are so grateful. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and your kindness toward us. I pray that we would see this vision, that we would um, take hold of it, God. Lord, not just attend the service, but to belong truly to a family and be on the mission that you've called every believer in Jesus to make you known in this world. God, light a fire in us, in the name of Jesus and by your spirit. And God's people said, amen, amen. Well, we have been in a series uh, on the last, for the last four summers. This summer is gonna be our fifth series in the book of Acts. Some of you are saying, <clears throat> it's not summer. It's hardly spring. But guess what? In order for us to finish this summer, we gotta kinda back it up. So welcome to summer, everybody. Uh, love the summer. So we've been asking questions for the last five years, questions like, what is the church? How do you define the church? Because every one of you have different definitions, right? There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of things that we bring to uh, a service like this where we think maybe this is church. Maybe the singing and the preaching, that's church. Well, that's some of it. But it's more about you and community connectedness than it is necessarily about, even about a service that happens on a Sunday. It is, it is a beautiful thing. We've been asking these questions. What do relationships look like in the church? What does mission look like in the church? And so we've gone back to the book of Acts uh, to kind of get a, a good definition, a biblical definition, not necessarily a Western definition or come up with our own. The uh, early church in the first century, uh, the book of Acts basically helps show this expansion of the gospel of Jesus after he's resurrected, take off like a wildfire to the known world. It, it's, it's an amazing book. It's written by Dr. Luke. Maybe you're familiar with the, uh, the gospel of Luke. This is the, the guy who wrote the gospel of Luke. And he actually was um, one book together. It was connected. The gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, written to one person. But by God's grace, we get to look at what he wrote and learn from it. And I love the book of Acts because it's not just historical in the sense that it shows us what God has done in the expansion of the church around the world, but we're caught up in it. We're still on that same mission that Jesus gave those disciples when he said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the power, in the name 
of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? Teach them all the things that I, I've taught you to observe, and I will be with you. I'll go with you. That, that commission goes with us as well as believers in Jesus. That was given uh, to all disciples who know Christ. And so we are caught up, if you will, in the book of Acts. We're on the same mission. Often the American church forgets that. Often we have uh, thought that the church is about our preferences or our traditions or what we're used to. And we literally forget that God has called us to an incredible mission of making Jesus known. And so this morning I want us to get back into the series, the story of the church and what an amazing story it is. You've heard me say um, before that the book of Acts is broken up into six different sections. The way Luke writes it, he sort of ends each of these section, uh, sections with, with a, a unique phrase about how the gospel is multiplied and going forth. The first section talks about the very Jewish nature of the church in Jerusalem and how uh, the church starts there, right? And, and the Lord is, is doing amazing things. And in that, very, uh, in that verse that sort of ends that section, it even says priests are coming to know the Lord out of the temple. And those are very Jewish uh, beginnings of the church. And then the persecution of the church begins to, to happen with Stephen being stoned and Saul uh, persecuting the church and the church just scattered to everywhere in the known world. And it kind of begins to be uh, in Judea and Samaria. And if you remember, that's exactly what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He said that I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the parts of the world, right? So this is now coming true, the second section in Judea and Samaria. And then after that, we see Gentiles begin to receive uh, the gospel and take the gospel with them as they're moving. As the Jews are leaving out of Jerusalem, they're beginning to give the gospel to Gentiles. And we see a place called Antioch in, in uh, Syria. And this is an amazing place. Uh, Barnabas gets sent to this church, and he's trying to make disciples. He realizes he's a little in over his head. And he says, I remember meeting a guy who, who said he was called to Gentiles. And so he goes and he finds Saul, who later becomes Paul. And he brings Paul back, and they begin to disciple people for a few years in Antioch. And then while they're discipling, while they're uh, spending time as elders in this beautiful church in Antioch, very diverse, what I love, it's diverse, it's mission-minded, it's, it's so many things that we want to be in the church in Antioch. But as they're praying, as they're worshiping, the Holy Spirit says to the elders, Send Paul and Barnabas out on mission. And so then they leave, and Paul and Barnabas get into Asia Minor, and that's the fourth section, and then into the Aegean Sea and the coast of Greece and around those places, and that's the fifth section. And the final section that we started last summer in, in this series in Acts is really a section about Paul. It really covers the last few years of Paul's life in Rome. And uh, Paul's writing... He's, he has a ministry in, in Rome, and ultimately he will be beheaded uh, in Rome. So it's, it's an incredible story. I love it. I kind of hate to see us finish it this summer, but Lord willing, that's what we're going to do. So you might remember where we left off. We, we left off in uh, chapter 22 in the book of Acts. I want to kind of bring you up to speed. This is towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey. He has, uh, again, traveled around the coast of Greece. He's visiting these churches that he's planted. And we know that when he goes back to visit these places, his desire is to take people deeper. You know, every time you come in here, the hope for your walk with Jesus is that, and my walk with Jesus is that we go a little deeper, that we're strengthened in the grace of God, that he does something in us that we, we begin to get it. 
and, and it becomes the theme and, and all of our lives to make him known. That, that's, the, that's the point. And that's what Paul is hoping to do. So as he's going around this, these churches that he's planted, not only is he, you might remember, he's wanting to take an offering. See, the church in Jerusalem was a poor church. And there had been a great famine and a lot of issues of poverty in Jerusalem. Well, you might remember also that the Bible tells us that through Abraham and Abraham's line, God wants Abraham to be a blessing, right? And he, he wants to be a, to this blessing to come through Abraham's line. Ultimately, the greatest blessing is what? Through, is through the line is Jesus, the Messiah. And so Paul says, because Jerusalem and, and Abraham's line has been such a blessing to the whole world through Jesus, I, he says, I just want to give something back. It's the least that these churches that we planted can do is to give back a little bit of what they have. They have some financial resources. Let's take an offering from all these churches. And he tells the churches, hey, if you want to send somebody with me, do that. If you have a young man, uh, somebody that you want to send with your donation, do that. And so now Paul's got all these donations. Paul's got this little cohort of men that are with him, and they're traveling back to Jerusalem. Another thing that you might remember is that Paul begins to have these visions about Jerusalem. And they're not, they're not necessarily good visions. He knows he's supposed to go to Jerusalem, but he knows it's going to be difficult. He knows he's going to be bound. He's going to be beaten. He knows it. And the Lord is, is kind of preparing his heart. You're going back to Jerusalem. It's not going to be easy. Well, he's got this cohort of people traveling with him, and they get to different places. And then some people in, in the places that he, he goes are saying, hey, Paul, I had a vision. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. It's going to be bad. In fact, one guy, you might remember, a prophet, he, he takes Paul's belt, and he wraps it around his hands and feet and says, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. Don't go. In fact, the whole cohort of men with him go, Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. In fact, Luke, the writer of Acts, says, Paul, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. Paul says, I agree with you about one thing. It's not going to be pretty. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a difficult time in Jerusalem, but I know that I'm supposed to go. And if you're coming with me, come on, but that's where I'm going. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. He meets with James and, and some of the other apostles in the church there. And then he, he's, he goes to the temple James works it out with him to take a couple of guys with him to the temple to finish a vow that they're, they're on. And Paul goes a few times to the temple. This one time Paul is at the temple, and he's worshiping, and he's recognized. You see, Paul kind of had gotten to be a little bit famous around the world in, in Jewish settings for sure because this is the guy. Remember, this is the guy who was the persecutor of the church. He once was a Pharisee. He once was uh, pulling people out of their homes, and then he begins to preach Jesus in synagogues all around the known world. And so Jews weren't happy with Paul. And there were some Jews at the temple that recognized this guy. Oh, I know that guy. That's the guy that's preaching Jesus in synagogues. And Jews are leaving the Jewish faith to follow Jesus because of that guy. So they grab Paul. And they think Paul maybe has brought some of his uh, Gentile friends into the temple with him. That's the assumption they make. He hadn't done that. That would be against the law. And, and, and Paul doesn't want to do that. So they make that assumption, but they grab him, and they're going to move him out to the court of Gentiles so that they can lynch Paul. They're going to kill him. It's a very serious moment. And so as they're, they're taking Paul out, they're about to kill him. I mean, just a, a whole ruckus, if you will, has started up around the temple grounds, and it's a big, big ordeal. The Roman 
guards have a fortress right there at the temple called the Antonio Fortress. They see this fight going on. They see this skirmish, and they send a large group of soldiers down to save Paul. They grab Paul, they pull him out, and the first thing that the the, uh, Roman tribune thinks is, this must be the guy who is the Egyptian who led an uprising a few years ago, and finally we've caught him. He's been missing all these years. He killed many Roman soldiers, and 400 of his followers died. It was a bad, bad deal a few years ago. And that's who he thinks this guy must be until Paul speaks Greek. And he goes, you're, wait a minute, you're not the Egyptian guy? Paul's like, no. And again, so now all of a sudden Paul has is, got a stage, if you will, to speak to this group of Jews who hate him and want to kill him, as well as to this group of Roman soldiers who just want to know, who are you? Why are they wanting to kill you? What's, what's going on? What do we not understand? And so Paul is given this moment to preach. By the way, what does Paul do when he has a stage? (laughs) He preaches. He preaches Jesus because that is his calling in life. That is what God has called him to. That is the most important identity that he has is as somebody who communicates the gospel of Jesus, right? And so he begins to tell people uh, who he was, what he had done, all these different things. Uh, the fact that Christ had saved him. The fact that Christ had sent him on mission. And as he begins to talk about Jesus, you can imagine um, the response, especially from the Jewish crowd. They don't want to hear about Jesus. And they start getting frustrated, and they, they believe Paul is, is now a heretic of the Jewish faith. And so things get a little crazy. Well, it's about here last fall that we finished. you remember? When I was, uh, I don't know, 9 or 10, 11, I don't know how I was. I used to love to watch the show Happy Days. Any Happy Days fans out there? For all the young people, it's just a show in the 50s, and it's sad that you don't know what I'm talking about. Because there was the most awesome guy in this, in this show. His name was The Fonz. Anytime you have the in front of your name is pretty awesome. So the Fonz is the, the kind of the star of Happy Days. Every kid, every, especially every boy, wanted to be like him. Black biker jacket, white T-shirt, always. And he went, hey, all the time. It was just, seems kind of goofy now. But anyway, at the moment, he was extremely cool. And in this season, it was ending. And I, don't, I was thinking about this. I could have looked it up, but I didn't. I have no idea the context of this moment. I can't remember whatsoever what was happening. Um, but for some reason, Fonz was jumping over a bunch of sharks in this body of water. And as like a 10-year-old, this is the, like the moment of my week, right? And so Fonz jumps, and right as he's in the middle, who knows if he's going to live or die. It's an exciting moment. All of a sudden, the producers put up there, to be continued. I'm like, oh, no. No, no, no. Right? And it wasn't like till next week. It was till the next season. Don't you hate when they do that? It's exactly what I did last fall. And I said, this is kind of like when Fonz jumped the shark to be continued. Anyway, uh, let's get continued, can we? Can we continue in this uh, story of the church? Acts 22, if you have your Bibles. By the way, just a reminder, uh, we're not always going to be putting up our main text on screen because we want to bring your Bible. We want you to, to get into your word and have it with you. And so if you have that, turn it over to Acts 22. Read along with me. I'll be reading out of the uh, English Standard Version. It says in verse 22, 
up to this word, they listened to him, up to the word about Jesus. They listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But they had stretched him out for the whips. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. Tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. It's an exciting story we're getting into today. Will you pray with me that God would help us to know exactly what he wants to say to us? Father, we, we, we read this today. We thank you for this story. We thank you for your word. We truly want to know what you want to speak to us, what you want to remind us, oh God, of who we are in you. That yes, we have different things that we identify with, but none greater than the fact that we are yours. And Lord, also remind us that we're never alone, that you are with us, that you love us. Father, I pray that your spirit would lead us to all truth, that I would decrease, Lord God, and that you would increase in this place and teach us all that you'd have us to know and give us the courage, God, to live for you as yours. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so here's one of the things. We're gonna, we're gonna have a large section of scripture. I'm gonna break it up in a few different ways this morning. One of the first things I want you to see is that God chose Paul, even from birth, because of the things that were going to happen in Paul's life. There are different specific things that happen in Paul's life that bless the advancement of the kingdom of God. And I want to say to us this morning, every single thing in your life, good, bad, and ugly, right? Sinfulness, brokenness. Maybe there's seasons where you, maybe you were in prison. Maybe you were an addict. Maybe you had, uh, maybe you went through a divorce, Maybe you've had different situations of brokenness financially, whatever it is. God wants to use every single thing in your life for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom, if you let him. Everything. There's nothing that he can't use for his glory. I don't know how many times I've felt like I've said, God, how, how? In this finite mind, how can you use me? How can you use someone like me? All the brokenness, all the mistakes, all the wrong motives and wrong ideas and thoughts. How? And then I think about Paul. And I go, you know what? If he can use the greatest persecutor of the church, he can use me. If you ever begin to have a doubt about God's use of your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been or who you've been, Think about Paul and remember that God can use it all. Amen? 
So God is going to use every aspect of Paul's life. Paul, let me just remind you, he is zealous for the law of God. The Bible tells us in, in Acts 8 that he's pulling people out of their homes, men, women, children. Sometimes he's killing them. Sometimes he's throwing them in prison, and he chases these followers of Jesus all the way to Syria, hundreds of miles away, to keep them from following Jesus and to bring them back into prison. That's what he's wanting to do. He's zealous for God's law until (laughs) the resurrected Jesus shows up to Saul. The glory of Jesus is so great it blinds Saul. He can't see. The Bible says there's something like scales on his eyes. He falls down. Uh, The next day, he's taken into Damascus where he gets saved. He gets baptized. And in a matter of days, he goes from persecutor to preacher. And he's preaching Jesus. He goes from being the persecutor to being the persecuted now. He's now being chased. He's, in, in fact, right after those days, he has to get out of Damascus and let, be let down the city wall in a basket because he's hiding because they want to kill him. I mean, from the moment just about that he came to know Jesus, he, he uh, was wanted. His life was wanted. So this is an incredible moment. God uses the rest of Paul's life to preach the gospel and to establish the church until we get into this section that we're reading through this summer. And ultimately, Paul's going to give his life and be beheaded in Rome for Jesus, for standing for Christ. I just think it's so ironic. I was just trying to wrap my brain around this. See if you can go with me in what I'm thinking. The very guy who at Stephen's stoning, they come out, they're getting hot because they're throwing stones at this man to kill him. They take their jackets off and they go throw it at the feet of Saul. Almost in, in, in essence saying he's the leader and Saul's just sitting back like this, kill him. The very guy that starts the persecution, the stoning of Stephen, uh, chasing people all the way to Damascus, gets saved, gets baptized. Now he's being chased. You just see this crazy cycle. And God is going to use him in every part of his life for his glory. And he wants to use every part of yours. Three things I want to say to you this morning, okay? The first one is this. God uses Paul as a Roman citizen. We see that in this text. Now, Paul rarely mentions the fact that he's a Roman citizen. Uh, go, back into, go back into our story. We see the Jews want him dead. It says that people are going crazy. They're even flinging dust in the air. That's, that's a sign of uh, where they think they're, they're seeing heresy, so they're flinging their coats. They're causing the dust just to get into the air. They're throwing dust in the air, which is a symbol of saying, this is heresy. We should kill him. He deserves to die. And the Roman tribune comes down, saves him, realizes he's not the Egyptian, and we get to the text we're in today. The Roman tribune really wants to know, who, who is this guy? Why is he so important? Why are they wanting to kill him? And he's not the Egyptian. Who can he be? Well, remember that the Romans were experts in torture, right? So the Roman tribune goes, oh, I've got a way to make him talk. I'm, I'm going to make him talk. And so he leads, they lead Paul to the place where they do the flogging. Now, you might remember when we talked about the doctrine of the cross, I explained flogging and scourging a little bit. In fact, how interesting that this is the very point. This is the very spot that Jesus himself 
is leaned over, chained to a, to a pole, the very spot, and now Paul is stretched out, it says, ready to be whipped. Not just with a whip, with a cat of nine tails that has glass and metal and bone fragments so that when it sticks in his skin, it rips off like ribbons. Many men who are flogged never make it out of that spot. They die. It's a horrific, horrific death. And you can imagine if you wanted somebody to talk, this might be the place to get them to talk, right? This might be the place to find out who is this guy. And so that's what the tribune thought. He gets Paul, they bring him over, they stretch him out. And Paul says this, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the, the tribune and he said, what are you about to do for this man is a Roman citizen? So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. Now what I think is interesting about this is Paul hasn't used his Roman citizenship that much. Right? I mean, in all these Roman uh, controlled areas, all these places he's, he's gone, that might have come in helpful. But I think what Paul is trying to show us and what Paul was doing in that moment is saying, my identity is not in the fact that I'm a Roman citizen. It's in the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven, right? I am no, I am, I'm found. My identity is in Jesus. That is my primary identity. So I think that is the purpose of us not hearing a lot about Paul's Roman citizenship. And then what's interesting, the, the Tribune starts to talk about the cost of citizenship. When he does so, he lets us know that he bought his citizenship, which is illegal. Right? He lets us in on a little secret. The only way you can buy citizenship is through bribery. That's how he has his citizenship. See, that's why he says, hey, this was expensive. Kind of like, you think you can afford this? That's what you can sense. This was expensive. You can't afford this. Paul says, but I'm a citizen by birth. Now, I want to help you understand that a little bit. Their citizenship in Rome was different than ours. To be a citizen of Rome meant that uh, you were a person of high standing, a high office, an official. You would be given citizenship. Or you were great service to the empire of Rome. You helped in some way. You did some things that were incredibly wonderful for the empire. And so they reward you with citizenship, which evidently was the case for Paul's father. We don't know a lot about Paul's father, but in order for Paul to be given citizenship by birth, it had to come from his father. See, God knew from even his birth, from before his birth, the plan that he had for Paul's life as he knows yours. And so Paul is just saying, hey, listen, I've had mine since birth. I got it the right way. You had to bribe somebody. So we're, we're getting some information here. And when, I, I love this, when, when they hear this, Look here in verse 28. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those that were about to, quote, examine him, which means whip him for answers, withdrew from him immediately. No, no, mm -mm. I'm not even going to be anywhere near this guy. No way, right? And it even says the tribune himself also was afraid. For he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So now we're getting into this, this situation of legalities. They know that now they can be in trouble. But they're, they're not so afraid that they've let him go. He's still, in, still a captive uh, of the Roman guard. 
I love that Paul uses his citizenship here as he's just about to get it, right? Just in the right time, he uses one of the things he identifies with, which is his Roman citizenship. He did this before. You remember in Acts 16? We have this beautiful story. I love it. It's a story of worship. Paul is, is on a missionary journey, and he goes to this place called Philippi, and he has uh, ministered to this little slave girl, and he had exercised a demon from this little girl, and, and she, she told the future to people, and it made money for her slave owners. They didn't like the fact that she couldn't do that anymore. So they went and grabbed Paul and Silas, and they beat them with rods, and they put them in prison. They put their feet in stocks, you know, where they couldn't even move. Very uncomfortable. And in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas start singing about Jesus. They start worshiping and singing these songs of worship. And an earthquake happens. I mean, it's a wonderful story in Acts 16. Look at it. Ultimately, the guard that was asleep wakes up, sees that the gates are open, and he thinks all the prisoners are gone. And so he's going to kill himself because it would be better for him to die now than let the Roman guard kill him. It, they would, it would be torture. He might be whipped with the cat of nine tails. And so he's just going to kill himself. Paul screams out, wait, 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 we're all here, remember? And so the guy comes and lets them, basically lets them go and says, and holds on to them and, and uh, cleans them up, cleans their wounds and it's just an amazing moment. That guy gets saved. He comes to know Jesus. And then word comes from the, the magistrates, the Romans, to, hey, just go ahead and let Paul and these guys, let them go secretly. Let them go. Let's, you know. And Paul says, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't do that to a Roman citizen. You remember? This is another time where Paul had said, I'm a Roman citizen. And you've beat me with rods. You put my feet in stocks. This has been an awful experience. You need to come down here and ask me to leave. This is, a, this is one of the times you see Paul with a little swagger, you know. Paul's like, I'm not going anywhere. You can come down and ask me to leave, and that's exactly what they do. The leaders come down to the prison and say, would you please leave quietly, get out of Philippi, thank you, and goodbye, right? So that we, that's one of the times we see Paul use this citizenship and this piece of his life that he can identify with. There are things in your life, connections, networks, experiences, brokenness, joys, and victories. God wants to use all of them. At different times, you can identify with those. But it's not for your glory, it's for God's. And you use them to advance the kingdom, even as Paul did. So here's the second identity that we see with Paul. He's a Jew. Right? Philippians, he tells us, I'm a Jew of Jews. Look with me, Acts 22, verse 30. It says, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he un, uh, unbound him. So again, let me just stop here for a second. The tribune here is still scratching his head, okay? We didn't get to flog him and find out. Who is this guy? Oh, I've got an idea. He's a Jew. Let me take him in front of the Sanhedrin, and, and maybe I can find some answers here. So that's what's happening. So he unbound him. He commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And they brought Paul down and, and, and set him before them. Verse 20, uh, chapter 23. It says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, 
would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. It's a very interesting section here. So the tribunes want to know who Paul is. He takes him and, and calls a meeting of the Sanhedrin, an immediate meeting. And so they're, they're there. They're probably not happy they had to leave what they were doing to come to a meeting. And they're not happy about the guy that they wanted to, to hang and they haven't let him hang him. And so we see Paul sitting before the, the Sanhedrin. Now, I love the very first verse, <laughs> chapter 23. I love that Luke captures this. Look what he says. And looking intently at the council... Can't you just see Paul standing before these men and just making eye contact? Do you know what Paul's about to do? Let me, let me go back to what I said a minute ago. What does Paul do when he has a stage? He preaches the gospel of Jesus. These are his people. Of all people, he tells us later in his writings, he wants them to know Christ. He even says, Lord, if I could go to hell and them know Jesus, I would do that. He, he wants to preach Jesus, and I love that Luke captures, he looks intently into their eyes because he's about to let them know the truth of who Jesus is. But before he can get it out, before he can talk about the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that we have resurrection with him, Ananias says, somebody punch him. Well, that didn't sit so well with Paul, and it might not sit that well with you. And we see something that we don't often see in Paul. We see Paul's humanity. Got any humans here today? I know you're a human. <laughs> I'm a human. Do you ever let your emotions get the best of you? Do, you? do you know the right thing to do and sometimes not do it? Yeah, all of us do. And we have this little candid moment of Paul doing something he shouldn't have done. Look what Paul said to the Corinthians in, in, in uh, chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, verse 12. This is what he says when you should get in these situations. This is how we act, believers. He says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. That sounds good, doesn't it? Did Paul do that? In this moment, did Paul do that? No, we see the humanity of Paul. And guess what? The Apostle Paul needs the grace of Jesus as much as you do, as much as I do, because we make mistakes and we see this candid moment of Paul slipping up. And he speaks out of turn to the high priest. Now, you're not supposed to treat people this way. Ananias was out, he was wrong. Leviticus 19 tells how to, how to treat people uh, when they're before the council, before the court. And he's not treating people the right way. That's why Paul has the right to say, oh, you're going to judge me and you're going to disobey the law. He's talking about Leviticus 19. And he says, you know, somebody ought to punch you, basically. And somebody corrects Paul and says, you don't talk that way to the high priest. And you see Paul sort of walk back what he's done, don't you? He says, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, what's interesting here? Some theologians think that because the meeting had been called immediately, it wasn't a scheduled meeting, that maybe they weren't in their robes. Maybe they weren't wearing their regular regalia and things that would make it easy for someone to tell, oh, that's the boss, that's the head guy, he's the high priest. Or it could be that Paul's eyesight is so bad, he just can't see. 
He hears a voice say, punch him, and he goes, oh, yeah? <laughs> you know, I don't know who said it. And so he admits. And th- this is the thing about mistakes, friends. Listen, we all make them, but we don't all own them. When you make a mistake, own it. I, I-, I see Paul go, say something he maybe shouldn't have said, and then he goes, you know what? I- I'm not supposed to do that. I shouldn't have done that. He owns his mistake. So here's, uh, as we continue through our our text, I want you to look at Acts 23, verse 6. He owns his mistake, and then it gets even more interesting here. He he says something that's going to cause a big ruckus. Acts 23, 6 through 10, it says, Now when Paul perceived that one part of this council were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between Pharisees and Sadducees. And the assembly was divided, for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor, a great fight arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. All of a sudden, the Pharisees are now defending Paul. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. I have no doubt in my mind that when Paul had a stage, he was about to talk about Jesus. He was about to tell them of our hope in Jesus, Messiah that he he'd lived this perfect life, that he died a sinner's death, and that by God's power he had been raised. But he didn't get that chance. Now, I'm not sure, we're not sure what happened here, right? Paul wants to talk about the resurrection, but it's, it seems a little bit like Paul knew what was about to happen when he made this comment. Even the text tells us, when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, it's like Paul's going, huh, Right? This is what's interesting to me. Paul uses, he used his identity as a Roman citizen. Now he's going to use his background as a Jew to understand the complexities here, right? And so he speaks into that moment and he starts to talk about resurrection. And as soon as he does, a huge fight happens. Luke tries to explain it for us and he does. The Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. They don't believe in angels or spirits. The Pharisees do. And so in that way, theologically, at least from an Old Testament perspective, Paul and the Pharisees are, are right and together. And, but they, they, they have this huge argument about that topic. And so as soon as that topic is brought up, it says a fight arises. Such a, diff, such a, a serious fight that evidently it came to blows in verse 7. So the, the Pharisees start taking up for Paul. And it's a serious enough fight that the Roman says, we got to get Paul out of there or they're going to tear him to pieces. That's a pretty serious fight, right? And in order to get Paul away from them, the text says that they had to remove him by force from these Jews. And Paul's had a rough couple of days, hasn't he? You know what's interesting about this? This is not the first time the Romans have saved Paul. You remember uh, back in Acts 18, 
the Lord's doing amazing work with Paul. He's speaking in the synagogue. And this, this proconsul, Roman proconsul by the name of Gallio, they bring him to Gallio, and they think they're going to get Gallio to charge Paul with some, with some crimes. Gallio says, this is all Jewish stuff. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with this man. Paul is saved by a Roman. A little bit later, he's in Ephesus, and he's got this uh, cohort of men with him, and a couple of guys that are with him, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus, are, are with him, and, and they take these two men, and they rush them to the theater in Ephesus, which is still standing today. Huge. Thousands of people can sit there. So this was a huge mob. Carry these two guys. What do you do in a theater? Right, this is where gladiators do their thing. This is where you kill people. And Paul wants to rush in, but they won't let him. And a little Roman guy walks out. I just imagine this guy with those little round glasses. They didn't have glasses. But, you know, walks out and he's like, he's the town council. He's the town clerk. And he says, excuse me. He says, if you have an issue with this, these two guys, you can bring it up in the courts. But otherwise, you're in danger of a rioting. And that is the Romans hated rioting. And so, again, a Roman saves Paul and his team. Well, just in, right here in the text that we're reading around right now, the Romans saved Paul from the Jews at the temple, and now the Romans saved Paul from the Jews at the Sanhedrin. The Romans have saved Paul several times. So God has, has used Paul's identity as a citizen of Rome. He's used Paul's knowledge and identity as a Jew. And then we get down to the most beautiful and exciting piece of the message as we close. All of a sudden, Jesus is going to just encourage Paul. Very simply. Look with me in the text. Acts 23, verse 11. Our last verse. He says, The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now, I want you just for a moment before we close to get into the mindset of Paul. Where do you think he's, he's at right now? How do you think he's feeling right now? I think he feels like he's about to die. I think he feels so discouraged and so afraid. He, he almost lost his life twice by the Jews, once by the Romans, in just the last couple of days. And he's alone. Usually he traveled with his cohort of men that he could spend life with and teach and disciple, but now he's alone. He's isolated in a prison cell in the dark. Just imagine you're in the dark. You can't see anything. You can hear some rats. And all of a sudden you just sense somebody standing next to you. And not just somebody. Jesus. Oh. The very thing Paul needed in this moment of discouragement, in this moment of fear, in this moment of, God, what's going on? Jesus shows up. This is the third time Jesus has appeared to Paul. The first time, Acts 9, on the road to Damascus, he's blinded by God's glory. The second time, Paul tells us back in, in chapter 21 that Paul was in Jerusalem at the temple and he had, kind of fell into a trance. And Jesus told him, you need to leave Jerusalem. I'm going to send you far away. This third time, there's no light. There's not even uh, this, you know, trance dream-like thing. Jesus just shows up standing next to him. And what he says to Paul is, take courage. Many of you have been in different places and different points in your life where you just need, you need Jesus just to say, hey, I'm with you. 
take courage, right? Some of you are in that moment right now. (laughs) Some of you need to hear, take courage right now. I think this is the exact thing that Paul needed to lift his head and strengthen his heart. To know that my mission is not done yet. I'm not gonna die here today. I'm gonna gonna go on to Rome. I'm gonna have another opportunity to preach Jesus. God is with me. Literally, Jesus stands with me. And then Jesus says, keep testifying about me. Just as you've been testifying about me, you've gotta do that in Rome as well. Take courage. Be my witness, right? Listen, as we close, can I just say, God wants to use every single part of my story and every single part of your story for his glory. He uses it all. Not one tear will be wasted if you know Jesus, if your identity is found in him and not in some other secondary thing. We see that Paul's not perfect, that every human being, including the apostle Paul, needs grace. And that when you feel completely done, exhausted, finished, we learn that Jesus stands with his people, right? And he encourages you. Take courage. You're not alone. The writer of Hebrews encourages us, tells us that Jesus said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. (laughs) I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the promise of Jesus. But I think this text, as as we wrap up, listen, I think this text reminds us that our identity, it can very easily be found in other things. How many of you really truly find your greatest identity in your job? It's easy to do, especially for men. You find your greatest identity in your degree path. Maybe you find your greatest identity in your victimhood. Where do you find your greatest identity? Because that thing, whatever it is, needs to be secondary to who you are in Christ. He wants to use all those things, but they need to be secondary to who you are in Jesus. See, I'm an American, a proud American. I've got a flag flying at my house this moment. I'm a white man, I'm an Arkansan, I'm a Klein, I'm a pastor, all of which are secondary to who I am in Jesus, that he has saved me and redeemed me and sent me on mission. And all of those things ought to be secondary in your life as well. And lastly, it tells us that regardless of what you're facing, you're not alone. Jesus stands with you and tells you to take courage. In that courage, it doesn't just stop there. It's not just Jesus going, hey, you can do it, Paul, take courage. He says, take courage and go. Be my witness, right? Find your identity identity in me and remember your mission. Remember the purpose of why you're here. Remember what I've called you to. Some of you need to remember that in this room watching right now. You need to know you're not alone. You need to know that God can use every piece of brokenness you've walked through that you may be in even now. But he says, take courage and go be my witness. So take all the baggage, take all the stuff, the things that that have made you who you are and let Jesus redeem it for his glory and be a witness wherever you go. I wanna just read this last verse as we go. You're familiar with it, Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God and are called according, I'm about to get into a different translation. Let me try this again. 
We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Right? If you know Christ and you love him, God is going to use those moments for his glory. That's his promise. That's our hope. May we be identified as Christ followers, people who love Jesus. And even in moments of isolation, know that he stands with us and continues to send us in the purpose he's called us. Pray with me. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, Father God, for this moment, for this day, for this text, for this word. God, I believe with all my heart that there are some people in this room and watching online that need to hear this truth. They need to be reminded, God, that it's not about what they've done or the things they've identified with As Christ followers, our greatest identity is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And in the moments of life that break us down and we feel hopeless, that's right when you show up to remind us, you are with us, you'll never leave us or forsake us. Now go in the identity of Jesus, of his, of being saved and sent for his glory to take his word to the ends of the earth. That's your commission to us, Lord. May we be reminded of it today. May we take courage and be about it in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen.